So in my continuing explorations of becoming the best submissive trainer in the world, there are a couple of things that I've come across that I'd like to share with you. One of them is how to efficiently and effectively train large numbers of submissives and slaves. And the key to this is only using as much effort as is necessary. Now, don't start off this way. When you start off, you'll want to throw everything you know how to do and the kitchen sink at them. But when you're more experienced, it's okay to dial back a little bit and use just the amount of effort and just the techniques that is necessary to get the achievement, the, the change that you want, to achieve the change that you want. So there are three rough categories that training techniques fall into. The first category is, well, there are three rough, there, there are three rough categories that the actual kind of skill and the person that you're teaching it to can fall into, and there are three categories that result from that. So the first example is when you're trying to teach someone something that they don't know how to do, but they want to do, and it's within their identity. So these are the simplest. I think of these as category one examples. And I'll go through at the end shortly about how to use your three columns or your four columns chart, as well as your statement of intention to kind of structure all of this. But this is just podcast specific stuff now. So that's when you don't know how to do something, but you want to, and it's within the realm of your identity. Who you are as a person right now can do that thing. Right? So as an example, let's take cleaning a room. Now, when I have um, training weekends or three-day weekends with girls in hotels, I teach them how to clean the hotel at the end in a very particular way. Right? So we start by gathering up all of our things and putting them in a big pile next to the door. Then we go around the room in a clockwise direction and we pick up all the rubbish, put all the rubbish in one bin and then put that bin on the countertop so that the cleaning staff doesn't have to bend over. Then we strip the bed, strip all the bathroom linens out, we put all of the sheets and blankets and pillows sort of um, on the bed, and then we strip off all the external coverings like pillowcases and, and duna covers and things and put them in a pile. So you end up with three piles on the bed. A pile of linen from the bathroom, again, at bed height, so they don't have to bend down. Uh, all the stripped sheets and then all of the bedding stuff that they can simply re-sleeve and then toss out again, toss onto the bed again. Simple, right? And then you go around, you do one final pickup just to make sure you're not leaving anything behind, phone charges and phones and wallets. Then you put a nice tip down and you walk out. And that's how you clean a hotel room. And that's something you can explain to someone. And if they're already sufficiently motivated to want to do it, they want to please you, they know how to do it now, so they'll do it. Right? Simple example. The second category are things where they might already know how to do something, they might not but they don't want to do it, but it doesn't involve having to change some element of their identity. So this is usually stuff that people will do when they're horny, right? There's a whole cat, there's one of the techniques for improving, uh, for widening the window of possibility for what someone can do is basically making them incredibly horny because when people are really, really aroused, the stuff that they're willing to do to make that arousal release is uh, at well larger than the things they would be willing to do if they weren't super turned on. Uh, it's a matter of shifting context, it's a matter of shifting um, their emotional state, but they know how to do it or they might not know how to do it, in which case you do have to tell them how to do it. They just don't want to do it, but it's within the realm of their identity. So they don't have to fundamentally change who they are 
in order to do this thing. Uh, a good example might be for a woman having sex with two guys at once, right? Lots of women, uh, once they're told how to do this, or I guess, you know, you just kind of figure it out as you're going along. It's not that complicated. They're, they know how to do it. They can do it as part of their identity, like under the, certain, the right circumstances or in the right context, but they just don't want to right now. And so that's when you'd have to make them want to. There's lots of different techniques that you could use there. Arousal, brainwashing, conditioning. But you wouldn't have to change her whole identity. She's willing to do that under certain circumstances or when she's in the right mood. She's just not, uh, she's just not doing it right now. Third category is things that people will just not do. They will absolutely flat out say no. And usually with a little bit of probing and questioning and, and acceptance of them, they'll open up to you about the fact that it's just not them. So I was talking to a great, great girl, very, uh, very religious girl. And she was like, I will do anything to make my husband, but I will not let him sleep with other women. Not when I'm there, not as a function of the relationship, monogamy or death, basically. And I said to her, look, you're gonna to need to change that perception because one of two things is gonna happen. Your husband's gonna cheat on you and then leave you, or your husband's gonna get bored and your sex life is gonna suck. So you need to open yourself up to the idea think about some circumstances under which this would be acceptable. If they can't think of any circumstances, and this was the giveaway, if they can't think of any circumstances under which this would be acceptable, right? Like if they were on a deserted island and they were all going to drown or die of starvation if those two didn't have sex and she was still not okay with it, that's when you're looking at an identity thing. And it's, it's really more, you need to apply more reasonable measures of, of leverage than just like what if someone put a loaded 45 magnum to your head and said, you know, you have to do this or you'll die? Well, most people would do most things under those circumstances. That's not realistic because you can't apply that kind of leverage consistently without damaging someone, right? So if you have to apply more leverage than is reasonable and they still balk at it, then you're looking at something that is part of their identity. And so you will have to employ techniques designed to shape their identity in order to get them to do that thing even once. If they cannot do it even once, under any circumstances or under reasonable circumstances, that's an identity thing, All right? So, uh, you know, that was a good example of sort of her saying, like, under, under no circumstances, I'm like, well, okay. You could apply ridiculous amounts of force or you could apply threat of death or something, but that's not reasonable and that's not practical and that's not, you know, healthy. You want her, ideally, to be able to have that experience with you once, make it fun and amazing and exciting and sexual and freeing and liberating and connecting for the two of you so that she learns to love those things. But you can't do that if she's never able to have the experience. Now, uh, never able to have the experience even once. Now, in trance, you can give someone the experience, make it perfect, and that's one of the, you know, one of the awesome things about hypnosis is you can help people to move past those identity barriers or you can just go in and like nuke everything with a, a number of different hypnotic techniques designed to rewrite someone's identity. Normal, just for clarification, normal hypnosis does not change someone's identity. You have to go in specifically with the intention of changing someone's identity and use a variety of sophisticated and um, 
complex, I guess, techniques to shift someone's identity, who they are. But where you're going to hit up against this barrier most commonly in my experience is when you're trying to help people take better care of themselves. And you will get a very strong, very rapid pushback on this. Say, for example, that a girl is mutilating herself by shaving off half of her head and dyeing her hair a color that is toxic and chemical and unsustainable and basically kills the hair cells. Now, I would classify that as self-mutilation, right? You might say to her, okay, I want you to grow your hair out to a good, healthy length down the middle of your back, and I would like you to take better care of your natural curls rather than killing your hair with a straightener every day, and I would like you to stop dyeing your hair, and I would like you to eat better and have better nutrition so that is reflected in the health and quality of your hair. Now this sounds like a really simple example, but what you'll find very quickly, sadly, is a lot of people will have an identity level problem with that. Part I've found, in practicality, I think a lot of people sort of use hairstyle and coloring as a membership to a group identity. Uh, and so often if they feel like they're shifting that hairstyle, they will have to lose that group identity. So that's an identity level change that has to happen in order for them to do that. But what you tend to find is that they're just not used to the idea of, or not comfortable with, or they don't feel like they deserve to have healthy, natural hair. Which is really sad, obviously. And if you can, you want to help them to move themselves, because you're not being paid for this. If you're not being paid for it, it's work. If you're being paid for it, it's fun. If you're not being paid for it, it's bad. If you're getting some kind of transactional exchange of equivalent value, that's okay. But you're not her counselor because you're not getting paid. Someone paying you with sex is not enough. Uh, sex is easy, it's cheap, it's everywhere. It's not, it doesn't have the kind of value sufficient to counterbalance an energy exchange where you're micromanaging every aspect of her life just for sex. There's got to be something else that she's giving you. So, yeah. Teaching people to take better care of their hair or better care of their skin better care of their nutrition so that it was reflected in their health and their physical appearance, that's when you're most likely to come up against these barriers of, I can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? I just can't. Okay, but why can't you do that? Uh, and then they think about it for a couple of seconds and they just go, I just can't. Like, that's an identity thing. That's another one of those little flags you look for where it's like, this is an identity change. But I don't know why they can't do it. Maybe they just don't want to change. That's fine. You can, you know push the Overton window in a couple of different ways without having to change their identity. But if they just will not, under any circumstances, do it, that is usually a pretty big giveaway for identity. Yeah. Fun fact, if you have curly hair or you know a girl that needs curly hair or that likes, if you like curly hair, then curly hair needs to be cut and maintained in a totally different way to straight hair, to naturally straight hair. Now, I don't advocate people straighten their hair artificially. I, I advocate people enjoy the gifts they've been given, eat good food, maintain a high level of nutrition, and take proper care of their physical body. Because you only get one. But for those of you with curly hair or that know someone who has curly hair, naturally curly hair, the Curly Girl Handbook is an excellent resource on that. And you should definitely get your hair cut 
by a person who is professionally trained, certified if possible, and who specializes in maintaining curly hair as opposed to ordinary or straight hair. So I hope that helps a little bit. But basically the idea with this is when you're starting out, you're gonna to wanna to use everything you know. You're gonna throw everything you've got at everyone, right? But as you go on, you'll realize that's really energy intensive. And after the first 20 or 50, or in my case, a lot more than 50 girls, you're going to want to start economizing on the expenditure of energy that you put into training each person. Because you might be training two or three at the same time. And that's basically like a part-time job. Uh, so you're gonna to wanna to use, ideally, the amount of energy that's necessary plus a little bit more to allow for, uh, for you know, some techniques not landing perfectly or just unforeseen circumstances, but you're not gonna to wanna to throw the kitchen sink and the whole dictionary at every single person you teach or work with. When you're starting out and for the first 50, I would say absolutely do that. Throw everything you've got at them because it's only with massive amounts of experience that you learn what is relevant and what is not relevant. So here's roughly how you teach someone something. Now, what I do is I like to create a kind of meta plan or just a plan, I guess. Now, what you do is you write out the intention for that person at the top of the page. So I like to make this a sentence or two, usually a paragraph or less, that describes what it is I actually want to create with this person, all right? So to use an example from what I was writing this morning, I want to create someone who is healthy, physically happy, physically healthy, emotionally happy consistently, and who you know, looks and acts and speaks in a particular way, right? So that's the intention, and everything comes back to the intention, which is why you've gotta write it down and it's gotta be clear, right? Because your intention is what will kind of guide you towards where you're going. That's the intention. And then underneath that, you create four columns of equal width. Now in the leftmost column, you break things down. This is the four columns method, by the way, um, that I come up with. So the leftmost column, you write down the thing that you want to improve. And then you write down the different attributes of that. The second column from the left is the current status. Third column from the left is uh, ideal status. And then fourth column is your plan to get them from the second column to the third column. So let's use hair as a super simple example of this. Right? Say someone has mousy brown hair that's too short and undernourished. So under hair, you would write every attribute of the, uh, of the, of the thing you're trying to change. Right? So to use hair as a simple example, you'd write length, color, cut, style, maintenance routine, uh, nutrition, um, accessories that you would put in your hair to make it look different. You know, little flowers that you clip on or, or themed bows. Uh, and then just fripperies and miscellaneous, you know, stuff like, um, yeah, just little extra things, right? So and then you go to the second column and you write down under each of those little categories how they do it right now. So right now, hair, mousy, brown, you know, too short, undernourished no accessories, no maintenance routine, right? In the third column, you write down the ideal. So hair, length down to the mid-back. Color can be anything. Uh, you know, cut, something that flatters and frames the face, makes her look feminine and beautiful, makes her feel beautiful, 
right? Uh, you know, hair care routine, good quality products applied in the right way, cut, uh, you know, one that suits her, style, one that suits her. Like, you can either define a specific end point or if you're doing more of like a self-driven empowerment process, like I usually do with a lot of the girls I'm training, it's like, well, you can create a range, like, you know, cut, one that suits her, you know, that's, or, or attach some photographs of three or four different cuts that might suit her. Um, you know, uh, accessories, um, like a little pink bow, something that makes her feel pretty, something that makes her feel good, something that makes them feel, you know, different and unique without being a t screaming crybaby attention whore. And then the fourth column is how you're going to get her there. And this is where the rubber meets the road, because this is basically where your plan comes into action. How are you going to change the length of her hair from short to long, right? Well, you're going to get her to stop cutting her hair. Super simple. This is why I use hair as an example. Um, no haircuts for like three months, as an example, right? Until you get some length in it. And then you go in and you know, trim off the dead bits and, you know, shape it a bit more. It's very much like growing a beard out for the first time. When they say growing a beard out for the first time, what they do is I just say, stop shaving your beard for, you know, four months until it's, you know, a good length. And then you've got something you want to work with that you can work with. So that, you know, color, um, you know, mousy brown is fine. Strawberry is better, right? So we want something that's like a, like a strawberry brown or, or even like a full-blown redhead. How are you going to change that? You're going to get a dye job. You know? And so you've got a plan for every aspect of every part of this transformation process. Now, then you have to put all this stuff in a timeline and all that shit. But basically, you've done the hard work already. This is the hardest part. And it's, it's actually <laughs> super easy. It's, it's so easy. But yet, no one does it. So here you go. Super simple tools that you can use. Statement of intention at the top. The, the category, the different attributes of that category, and then the three columns next to that. The outline, where she is right now, where you want to be her, in a, what you want her to be in an idealized fashion, and then how you're going to get her from the second column to the third column, right? How you're going to know when she's done. Um, and that's basically as simple as it gets. But what the point of this episode is to say that you don't have to go in and like, totally restructure someone's identity in order to get a simple change. You might have to. I've met girls that will not clean anything under any circumstances. Why? They know how. They don't really feel like it. But more than that, it's so... Even when they feel like it, they can't do it because it's outside of their identity. Right? So you've either got to change their identity or help them change their identity so that cleaning or doing the desired thing is something that's inside of what is not only healthy and normal for that person's identity, but, but easy and possible, simple, right? Cleaning, you know, you can reframe it in all sorts of different ways. Cleaning builds character. Keeping your own things maintained is something that you can always do no matter how poor you are, right? One of the big distinctions in life is between people that have gratuitous amounts of money and people that have less than that. But no matter how poor you are, you can always keep your things clean reasonably clean. Not like a neat freak OCD stuff, just, you know, you can take good care of the things that you do have. And in a slave girl's case, this is her natural attributes, her beauty, her intelligence, her kindness, her empathy, as well as her physical body, her hair, her tits, her ass, her weight, the clothes that she wears, that sort of thing. 
Now, another common example is when you're trying to change someone's clothing, right? Again, this can be really simple for some people, but what you can find sometimes is that the clothing they wear is an identity thing, or it's form, it forms an integral part of their identity. And so you can make changes to that, but totally radically changing it can be a little more tricky. So let me give you an example of a girl that I worked with a couple of weeks ago. Everything was black. Uh, everything was loose and baggy. Everything was long-sleeved. And everything just looked like she'd pulled it out of a second-hand store, which she had. And that's not to insult second-hand stores. There's some great ones out there. But it just looked like she didn't give a fuck how she looked. And it just radiated waves of despair and loneliness from her, right? So... I sat down with her, I said, do you really want to look like this your whole life? She's like, no, I hate the way I look, but I don't know how to change. Okay, great. We've got to change this. So I don't know how to change means I have to tell how to change. She's like, well, you got to stop shopping at the places that you're shopping at, right? She's like, okay, no more shopping there anywhere for any reason. Okay, go and shop at these places instead. And I gave her a list of really nice places, right? And then we started talking about some weight loss goals. And I said, look, what you want to do is you want to set yourself a goal of going and getting a piece of bespoke clothing made for you in this new style that you're moving into as a halfway point or a one third of the way to your final goal. Get one piece made. It'll be a bit expensive, but you know it'll motivate you. And then what you want is to have a bunch more bespoke clothing made for you at the end of your weight loss goal, all right? There's not much point in getting six pieces made for you and then totally changing your body composition. Get one piece made for you a third of the way in to motivate you because once you've put on a piece of clothing that's made for you, it just fits like a glove. Going back to, you know, $5 specials from Target is hard. So we talked about clothing and then we went out and, you know, go away for a week, come back, check in, see how she's doing. And it's like, oh, she's having some real problems with this. And okay, it's like, well, you just don't want to. No, no, she definitely wanted to. She just couldn't. She wanted to, but she couldn't. And it's like, okay, that's an identity thing, right? So we talked about it and we realized, she realized, I knew already, but she realized that she was wearing black because, and, and not taking proper care of her body because she wanted to be invisible because she had equated attention from men with pain which is not, no, just not true. But it was her identity that she was fat and lonely and unloved. And so in order to change some of the clothing that she was wearing, she would actually have to change her identity of who she was as a person. So I helped her to see herself as worthy of love, deserving of love. You know, I, I basically gave her the stuff from those two podcast episodes I put out on helping someone raise their sense of deservedness. I'm like, listen to this, listen to this, do these things. Okay, yes, sir. Right, and then helped her to change her identity using a bunch of complicated, sophisticated hypnotic techniques that I won't go into here for brevity's sake. Uh, and, th and then she went out dress shopping and she just instantly and effortlessly went, I want that one and I want that one and I want that one. And now she's wearing dresses, right? She's, she's wearing clothes that flatter her body as best as it can be flattered right now. And then the next thing, once we fixed the clothing, was, you know, the weight loss, which takes a little bit longer to do. Even if you do everything right at the start, it just, you know, biologically it takes a bit longer. She hasn't got that much to lose anyway. The biggest thing was the identity change. It was like seeing yourself as an attractive woman, seeing yourself as worthy of desire. 
It's a kind of coping mechanism for people that don't get a lot of attraction from men or attention from men to start seeing themselves as unworthy of that attention so it doesn't hurt so much when they don't get it anymore. Uh, but the solution to that is not to crawl into a hole and die. The solution to that is to take better care of yourself. You know, wear clothes that flatter you. Go to the gym. Learn to love activity, not just exercising, but doing things with your body. Glory and delight in what your body is capable of. Learn how to have the 12 different kinds of orgasms, as an example. You know, you were made for so much more than being unhappy your whole damn life. But that's sometimes their identity. And so helping them to shift that is a good idea, if you can. You're not obligated to do it, you know. I've met a lot of guys that are like, as long as she's putting out and she's good in bed, I don't care what she wears, I don't care how she feels about herself, I don't care about anything else. And it's like, that's okay, you know. Sometimes that suits the nature of the relationship. Uh, but mostly it's the guys that look at the amount of effort required to change someone's identity, which is not huge, but it's definitely greater than zero, and think, well, risk, reward, cost, benefit, you know, it's not worth it. But as a semi-professional submissive and slave trainer, it's like, well, by semi-professional, I just mean I don't do it full-time. It's only a, you know, four or five hours a week job, not a 40-hour-a-week job. But, you know, it's very rewarding to do this. But, of course, you aren't obligated to do it, and you shouldn't be punished for not doing it. Oftentimes, it's enough to simply point someone to the right resources. And I have had thousands of conversations with people that have called me up and said, I don't know what to do here. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to take responsibility for changing your life, but if I was you in your situation, I would do this and then this and then this. And that'll get you 80% of the way. And they go, yep, cool. I never hear from them again because that's all they needed. You know? So to sum everything up, there are three categories that different training techniques fall into. Simple things where someone simply doesn't know how to do something and they want to, and doing it is within their realm of their identity. The second category, or category two, is where they might not know how to do it, they might know how to do it, but they don't want to do it, but it doesn't require a change to their identity. So that's just a matter of, I guess, helping them to want to do it. It would be the kindest, most politically correct way of saying it, but the realistic way of doing it is you've got to make them want to. So arousal is a great lever there. Um, orgasm denial is a great lever there. Depending on the psychology of the person, there's lots of different techniques that you can use uh, quote-unquote against them to help them to want to do these things. And honestly, most people want to do the things that they want to do. Most people want to do these edgier, sort of harder core things. What they look for is an opportunity to abdicate responsibility for doing it. They want to be able to say, oh, my, my, I couldn't help myself, you know, because of X reason. You know, my dom made me do it. Like, cool. You wanted it. You know, I didn't make you do anything. You came in with a game plan on how to get it all done, but you needed the ability to abdicate responsibility. That's great as a coping mechanism. And I always try to teach people to take more direct control of what they want. And then at the end, once they have more direct control over it, then to abdicate that greater degree of self-awareness and control to someone else because it's infinitely more enjoyable. And the third category is things they just cannot do under circumstances of you applying reasonable uh, motivation or pressure or leverage or whatever it is when you call it, whatever it is you want to call it. Uh, things they just cannot do. 
it's outside of who they are as a person, and so they have to change as a person in order to be able to do those things even one time. For, for example, to go back to clothing, if someone can put on a dress one time, then you can capture that behavior. You can reinforce that behavior. You can reward that behavior. You can make that behavior fun and exciting and interesting and pleasing to you. And that is often enough to shift her into wearing dresses and taking better care of the clothing that she wears, basically from that point onwards. But that sort of leads us into the final topic of this podcast, which is if you try something and it doesn't stick, it's because you didn't go deep enough. So, <laughs> bam, chicka, wow, It's If you try something like, let's use an example, right? A, simple, a seemingly simple example. Let's use sweeping the floor. Actually, let's use washing your own dishes, right? Or even just putting them in a dishwasher after you've rinsed them off in the sink. Someone says to you, I don't know how to do this. And you go, great, I will tell you how to do it. I will show you how to do it. Now you know, you can do it for me one or twi once or twice under supervision. In this moment, great, you've got it. And then they just don't do it. It's like, okay, well, that's not a level, that's not a category one problem, that's a category two problem. You've got to make them want to do it. So, you know, how about a free rush of, of utterly sweet, addictive happiness and satisfaction every time you wash your dishes? How about, you know, orgasm denial until they wash their dishes three days in a week? How about using some other technique to get emotional or sexual leverage over them so that you can kind of move that Overton window of what they want, right? Which is not unethical, by the way. And then you do that, and they still don't do it. They want to do it, but they just can't do it. They can't wash their dishes. What you're looking at there is some kind of, some level or some degree of identity issue. It's just not in who they are. And so you have to find a way of making that within the realm of who they are. Now, obviously, the classic example of all this stuff is sexual activities. Like, there's a lot of women that would quite happily have sex with two guys or three guys or five guys but there's usually a, a kind of disclaimer on this, and this is where context is interesting and comes into it. It's like, oh, I would happily have sex with five guys. Most girls would have quite happily have sex with multiple men. However, they will usually have some conditions under which the context is possible. So they will usually say something like, my husband has to be there, or I need you there, or I need someone I trust there, or I need them to be all the guys I know, or they need to be all my husband's friends that he can vouch for. And it's like, well, that's not an identity change. That's, that's a level two change. It's a category two change. It's uh, something that they know how to do or they might not know how to do, but they're, they're, they're willing to do, wanting to do, just maybe not in that moment um, of the conversation. But they don't need to change who they are as a person in order to do that. So that's actually not a category three. Uh, uh, yeah, category three transformation change required, it's category two. But then for some girls, they will never, ever, under any circumstances that you can use where you could apply reasonable mechanisms to do those things. They would just never be with a, a, a two men at once. They just wouldn't do it. And it's like, well, that's an identity change. You know, and there's lots of different ways you can do that. You can hypnotize them, reframe things. You can explain it to them differently. You can organize a series of smaller, more meaningful, uh, gradually progressing uh, experiences to sort of build her from where she is now to where you want her to be so that her identity expands over time to include these activities. Or you can just go in there with hypnosis and totally change who she is in like three hours. It's really not that hard. 
if you know what you're doing. The techniques are very sophisticated, but um, yeah, they're not that difficult. So I hope that covers everything that, uh, that comes up because a lot of people, when they start out this stuff, they're like, what techniques do I use? When do I use them? It's like, well, what you do is you basically start off with a graduated progression, like a lot of useful things in life. You start with the simplest first. I want them to sweep the floor. I will tell them how to sweep the floor. I will make sure that they are physically capable of doing it. And then I will watch and see what happens. If they do it once, great. If they don't do it, it's because I don't want to do it. So then you have to make them want to do it. Conditioning, brainwashing, reinforcement, that kind of thing. Not exclusively those things, but those are the kinds of things, as well as a bunch of other techniques that would fall into category two. And then, you know, if they want to do it, but they just can't do it, it's like, well, that's an identity thing. They just cannot do it. Then it's that what they're saying is, I can't do it, which means that I themselves needs to change their identity in order to be able to do that even one time. Once you can do it one time, you can capture it, reinforce it, shape the behavior, do it on a cue, activate it automatically, give them multiple full body orgasms every single time they do it, you know. Also, sort of a side note for emotional and sexual leverage, edging is infinitely better than orgasms. Um, as Stephen Covey writes, a satisfied need does not motivate. So if you can get a guy to edge for you for a couple of days and then, then you can present him with ideas that he would normally object to and they'll usually slide right in. Women, it's, they don't even need a couple of days. And there's one girl I've been talking to recently and if she doesn't have an orgasm three times a day, she turns into a crazy person who was willing to do absolutely anything with anyone in order to get off. So a couple of days of structured orgasm denial creates a huge positive movement in someone towards something that under different circumstances, they might find very difficult to do. All of a sudden, those things that they want to do, that they find challenging, become easy. So as always, websites at mindkink.net, M-I-N-D-K-I-N-K.net. Shoot me an email there if you want to talk about anything.